So I'd like to welcome my good friend, Nairaj Kapoor. One of the great things about last year, 2020, Nairaj reached out to me on LinkedIn and we've become good friends over that. We're both in the same profession. I think Nairaj and I have the same philosophy. There's no competitors. There's just just friends. But let me tell you, this isn't about me. This is about Nairaj. Let me tell you a bit about Nairaj. Nairaj has written two successful books on sales, and he'll talk a little bit more about those. They have been consistently in the top 100 uh, of Amazon, which he's very proud of. Obviously, and he, I was looking at it today, there's lots of five-star recommendations on, on the books. So the first one, did you write the first one, 2018 Nairaj? Was that your first book? That's correct. I've spent 23 years in corporate London. And the last two years, I wasn't really satisfied. Um, I found companies were not really training our sales staff much. As a result, performance wasn't very high. And I thought, I want to create some kind of guide to really help people sell better. That's all I want. It's just people to, to sell better. Because salespeople have such bad reputations. But I know for a fact, not all salespeople are bad. Most salespeople are actually pretty decent people. But they have a bad reputation because they're not properly trained. So I thought, let me write a book that will just help people in sales, not just salespeople, but marketing people, business owners, entrepreneurs, anybody who has to sell a product or a service. But I thought, how am I going to compete with Zig Ziglar? <laughs> how am I going to compete with Mark Hunter and Anthony Anarino? These are the best people in the world. How am I supposed to do that? And I know a very powerful thing about sales, which I'm sure you know as well, Collie, is the power of storytelling. So I thought rather than just giving you sales facts and, and sales stats, how about I tell this as a story about my life in the last 23 years working in London and how I hadn't. I'll tell you stories about things you wouldn't even think about, like how I worked pre-internet, what that world was like, and what it's like having arranged marriage to somebody I've only met for 20 minutes, and what it's like becoming a dad young, and what's it like losing your job in the recession. So it's almost like this great roller coaster ride you take people on. And because I took them on this emotional journey, which had a lot of failure, people were surprised how much I failed in my life before I found success. I think people just connected with it on a really much deeper level than most sales books, which aren't really emotional. They're more factual. So I got very lucky as well. I need some luck too, Collie, you know, and to have a book, you know, when I lost everything in lockdown, March, 2020, everybody works in sales was the only income I had for a while. So I was really grateful for it, you know? Yeah, and that's, um, you know, a couple of things that I didn't know about you now, Raj, you know, you've obviously had an interesting life. Um, and you obviously from from your culture that you come from as well. And I know that your dad has an MBE. Discovered that today. Oh it? yeah, he got that from Prince Charles in 2014. That was actually quite remarkable. You should really invite me. I'm the first grandchild. Bring me to Buckingham Palace, and he did. But you know, those are the things that happen. And, and obviously, you know, when you're going through, and I know what it's like myself going through divorce and. Those are, are trying times. Yeah, but we're here to talk about sales, really. And you've had some very, what I was going to use the word high class, but that's not right. Some very um, upmarket plans like Barclays Bank, Gainsbury's. I'm interested as a sales trainer to pick your brain and say, how did you manage to win contracts like those, which are the envy of all sales trainers to, to have those on your CV now, Raj? I was at the London Chamber of Commerce. It was a business breakfast. 
Um, when I go to networking events, the big mistake people make is they go, what do you do? And they just judge you as soon as they meet you according to your job title. So what I always say to people is, hey, what brought you here? It's a different way to connect with people. And the second thing is I say, how can I help you? Do you want me to introduce you to people in the room? Uh, you know, even though I've just been there for the first time, in all fairness, I always say that because I like helping people and introducing people. And this guy, I, I didn't know he was vice president of trade at Barclays. And he just told me he was struggling with sales at the time. And I said to him, what kind of problems are you having? And he said, you know, I team will not pick up the phone. I cannot get them to pick up the phone. They keep insisting they're not salespeople and they won't do it. I said, okay, can I show you some pictures on my phone? And he goes, what do you mean pictures in your phone? I said, no, don't worry, it's nothing bad. And I took out my phone and I showed him a training session I did a week earlier with a different company saying, here's how I train people. Because if somebody won't pick up the phone, you can't just teach them phone selling. You have to address the mindset first. So what I did was I did a training session about why you don't like the phone, because you have to acknowledge it. And then I did a training session about why the phone's important. And here are the results I got for the company. What do you think? And he went, brilliant. When can you come in? I mean, that's how it happened. But what was interesting was before that, I spent months speaking to Barclays in Northampton. They got major office there, spent months getting nowhere. I spent with Barclays in Milton Keynes, got nowhere. So I must have gone for the best part of six months, knocking on Barclays door, getting rejected by all the business managers, all the directors, and then by pure you do need a bit of luck as well. By luck, I met Wesley, who was the vice president of trade at a business breakfast event. He had a problem. I gave him a solution. He asked me to come in. And when I came in, I got pictures because the staff, you know, they were like this. They really didn't want to be sales trained by anybody. They didn't want to be there. And with, by, by the end of the session, they were really friendly, really hospitable. We got a fantastic picture of me. The Canary Wharf building is in the background. It's on my LinkedIn page. It's on my website, I think, as well. It's something I'm so proud of. And the great thing was, once I did that, then Barclays started speaking to me again. And then I spoke at Barclays at Cranfield with the Eagle Labs. And all of a sudden, other divisions of Barclays started opening up to me because they saw what I did in Canary Wharf. So that was actually lovely, I must say. It was just, it's bizarre. You spend several months chasing something, you get nowhere. And then all of a sudden, something happens elsewhere, which is you're not expecting. But yeah, that's what happened, Colin. Yeah, and, and you said something interesting, which started off. It prompted me. I I read your uh, twenty. What was it? Twenty things you learned under lockdown. Was that an article? Is that the right title of it? Twenty um, things you learned in twenty twenty. Oh yeah, yeah. Lessons learned in twenty twenty. That's correct. Yes. Yeah, and you, you know, you talk about mindset, and it's one of the things that I can see in in sales is mindset is probably the number one asset that uh, the salespeople need to work on. And I'd like to hear your thoughts on that, Nairaj. I 100% agree with you. Most people get into sales, especially now, so many salespeople are working at home. And just say they're starting work at half nine. They wake up about nine o'clock in the morning, sometimes quarter past nine, have a cup of coffee, slip on a shirt, they're at their desk for half nine <laughs> you know, uh, for a team meeting on Google Hangouts or Microsoft Teams or something like that. That's that's really bad mindset. And um, what you got to do before you do not just sales, but any job is get yourself mindset ready. So you wake up, you don't check emails ever first thing in the morning because you're giving a day away to somebody else. You do not check news first thing in the morning because it will depress you. Uh, you wake up in a state of gratitude and be grateful for everything you have. You then get your body moving. 
whether it's jogging, cycling, running, HIIT exercises. If you can't leave the house, HIIT exercises are great. And all these things are free as well. You know, gyms are currently shut, but you know, there's so many things you can do. I go for a walk every morning and you know how freezing cold it is in February in Northern Ireland. It is freezing. I wrap up in scarves and two layers. I go for a walk for 20 minutes and it is nasty, but it wakes me up and I haven't checked my phone yet. I then come back home. I'll then do 20 minutes reading on personal development, on how to improve myself and better myself. Then I spend one hour doing my most important work, which is working my third book at the moment. And then around about nine o'clock, half past nine, that's when I return emails and phone calls. So that's me keeping my mindset well. At lunchtime, I take an hour off and I go for a walk. I then come back home. I meditate for 20 minutes. I'll chat to my parents, you know, then I'll work really hard till about five-ish, spend time with my uh, nephews, chill out, have dinner with the family, then work from seven o'clock in the evening till about 11 o'clock. And then at 11 o'clock, I'll use my gratitude journal before I go to bed. But again, my mindset's been protected all day long by having regular breaks, by having family time, by writing in journals, by, you know, and these things are really important because that way my mindset's pretty good most of the time. Of course, there's days you get overwhelmed, Colleen, but overall, it's a really good mindset because I don't get distracted with email all day. My social media apps are off for most of the day. Uh, and that's really important. Most people look at their phone every seven minutes and you have to stop doing that because you don't get that much work done when you're looking at your phone every seven minutes, you know? Because we're so alike and maybe that's why we're in the same profession. Mm. And yet, you know, we come from different backgrounds, different schools. One of the things which, which I do, and you talked about your journal, my, uh... It's so important. And I think whenever you go through trying times, which you and I have been through in different ways, well-being becomes a major issue. And certainly for me, having gone through a very painful divorce and then gone into lockdown and lost the majority of my business and had to rebuild and then lived alone for four months, that has a massive impact on your mental health. And I did struggle. I struggled massively. And I'm actually so grateful and also very lucky because the only way to protect my mindset was moving countries. I mean, that's a big deal. Moving houses is a big deal, Collie. I moved countries. That's how important mindset is. My parents said, look, you're really struggling right now with the divorce. You're struggling with your mental health because I was living alone for four months as well after the divorce. Um, come back home to Northern Ireland. All your stuff's online. And it was the best thing I did because I'm around people who love me. I have company every day. I never feel lonely anymore. Uh, my mother makes the best Indian home-cooked food. It's hard getting good Indian food in Northern Ireland. It just is very difficult. Um, and I'm quite lucky. So I got all the benefits of being at home, but I still have the freedom of running my own business. And it's, it's fantastic. And everything's online anyway. Um, so all day long, I'm protecting my... That's how important well-being is. I didn't just move house. I changed countries. <laughs> so <laughs> that shows you how important well-being is. Oh, I've got to be careful here now, Raj, because I'll start wangling for an invitation to taste your mother's cooking. Oh, you're, you're, you're guaranteed. Of... You're guaranteed to her cooking. You just have to wait till lockdown's over. But you're, you uh, and Jim Irving, guaranteed invite to my house, you know? Article you wrote was about the relationship that you have with your dad and how you felt that you owe so much to him as well, which you said you only discovered later in life. I did, because when I was younger, he was a very typical... Indian father. Work hard, get a job for life. And the thing was, I'm not against the working hard, but I didn't enjoy school. 
I didn't find school to be of any value to me. And looking back, I wanted to do stuff that was exciting. I wanted to play music. That was my real love. I, you know, if I learned business skills or financial skills or personal development or charity, if I'd learned things like that, which are really important to kids, I, I would have loved school and done really well. But they don't teach you these things in school at all. They teach you stuff like the Irish famine, which has done me no good in my life. I'm sorry, it hasn't. <laughs> they teach you geography. You know, they teach you things that have just have done me no use in my life. So I didn't enjoy school and I didn't do well because I have to like something to do well. I'm not one of these people. I don't have the ability to do well at stuff, but I find boring. I have to really love something. I love sales. I love mindset. I love LinkedIn. And when I coach people, you can see the joy in my face and that transfers to the client. If I'm doing something that's really mind-numbingly boring, I, I really struggle. And he kept, him and my mom couldn't understand why I couldn't just go to university. Why I couldn't just get a job like all my Indian friends in Northern Ireland. They got jobs, they got degrees, they became doctors or lawyers or accountants or pharmacists. And I went to England and I was in the dole. And being the dole is horrible because I had no qualifications for anything. I failed as a musician. I wanted to be a rock star. I failed horribly. I was too ashamed to come back to Northern Ireland. And I spent 18 months in the dole. It was quite humiliating. And I became a hermit. I would go for weeks without speaking to people. And one day my father came out to the house. He was just genuinely embarrassed about it. And he says, look, this, you got to sort yourself out. We can't do this. We got my CV together, went into London, gave it to various media companies. Because in those days, the only jobs you could get without experience was sales. They would often advertise in the back of the Evening Standard or top sales guy earned a thousand pound commission last week. No experience required. I'm like, Okay, I'm going for that job. A thousand pound a week sounds nice uh, in 1994. And I applied for the job and I got it. And I was shocked. I'm like, oh my God, I'm a natural salesperson. <laughs> and I went into the office first day. They gave me an, an A4 script and said, right, learn this in 60 minutes. I'm like, okay, I learned the script and I made my first phone call and I was talking and talking and talking and the client gave an objection and it's like, <laughs> my boss said, say that my boss is on the other line. Tell me what to say. It was so bad because I, I, nobody taught me objection handling. Nobody taught me listening skills. Nobody taught me sales process. All I had was an A4 script. And all I had to do was get through the A4 script without being interrupted. It was the worst, most awful, pointless meaning. But in a way, you learn lessons from this. That's not how you sell. And um, that's what happened. I lasted four days there. And then I went looking for work where I can get a job that trained me properly. And luckily, again, luck, luck's important. A company called Centaur Communications wanted somebody. They wanted people with degrees, which I didn't have. But the receptionist was Irish. She was from Ackerfeld, I think it was. And she got me an interview with the HR person. And the HR person, I told her my story. And she goes, my God, that's fascinating. Come upstairs. We had a chat. And I was hired the following Monday. And I was trained for a week on Dipita. Aida and spin selling. I think those were the three things. Yeah. And that was it. And that's how I started off the very, very bottom in sales. Gosh, now, right. The more you talk, the more I see we're so alike because I played in rock bands in the 60s, played bass guitar. I didn't know that actually about you. Really? Yeah, I played bass guitar in the, in the 60s. Uh, when I was about 17, 18, my dad said to me, if you know as much about work as you do about pop music, you might stand to make a living. 
that's why I still do it. I still uh, DJ on do do sixties programs on the radio and have my own American country show. But that's 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 another life. You know, you talk about your dad, and one of the things is on my desk I have a photograph of my dad. I hope it doesn't you know, show us a reflection maybe on that. My dad, uh, when I was four years old, my dad contacted multiple cirrhosis, our family, because of it. Uh, that was 1948. Our family uh, grew up poor. Now, the amazing thing about when you're poor, you don't actually know you're poor. Mm-hmm. Now, I did go to a good school. Yeah, the amazing thing in life, which you said, is never once have I been asked to use now, a, a minus B equals 2X. I have never found a use for that yet since I left school. <laughs> and why I had to learn that, I don't honestly know. But but that is, that's why I feel education is sometimes lacking. One of the things I did, as I said, my dad had, had MS. Uh, he actually later in life lost um, both his legs through gangrene. He had to have him amputated. But he had one thing which I... I've learned from, and that's resilience. I never saw my dad unhappy. I never saw him complain about his condition. That That's one of the things that I've come to see. And when you come to mindset and look about mindset and what you've come through, resilience and a good mindset has brought you to where you are today. You know, I, I've got to know you in the last year, Nairaj, and I've seen you as a positive person. You're a person you, who, who is, you're a man the mission at times. But interesting enough that you're saying about that, my first sales job, well, it wasn't really a sales job. My, I ended up being a Pepsi-Cola root salesman. And my mother says, my goodness, you're a lorry driver. No, mm-hmm. no, I'm a Pepsi-Cola root salesman. That and that was my route into sales. Uh, the franchise was sold, and, uh, and I moved to my first sales job. But probably before you were born, now you're right, 1973, October 73, I got my first sales job. I'm exactly the same as you. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know how to answer objections. I didn't know how to open a conversation. And I bought myself, and I remember it was a blue book with a yellow cover on it called Teach Yourself to Sell. Mm -hmm. And that was the start. And then I discovered people like Tom Hopkins. Who would you believe I had a conversation with on LinkedIn last week? So oh, did you? Oh, that's amazing. That other people have discovered, like Brian Tracy and and you know, sort of the, the gurus of the sales training world. I actually started. My dad died when he was seventy. Sorry, died when he was fifty-two. Oh. And two weeks before my fifty-second birthday, I had a good job as a sales director. I was obviously in this job to retirement. The, the MD and I were personal friends, still are personal friends. But two weeks before my dad, my, my own 52nd birthday, I said, if my dad was alive today, what would he tell me to do? And the message came back, go for it. That was 1996, and I have never regretted the moment. As obviously you haven't regretted making that jump, Nairaj. Oh, God, no. I mean, look, sales has given me a living that... I wouldn't necessarily have had if I had a normal job. Sounds terrible saying a normal job, but you know what I mean? It's like, I know a lot of people, especially those working are teachers or those working in NHS. And they work very hard. They don't get monthly commission. They don't get quarterly bonuses. They don't get annual bonuses. And their pay rises are pretty awful. For, for what the work they do is so important. Yet in sales, we do very well. And you put in the overtime. Majority of the time, 
you get well rewarded. And that's enabling me to buy a house, you know, take care of my family, raise my family, and, and have good holidays, wear, you know, wear these lovely clothes, drive decent cars. It, it gave me a good lifestyle. And it's quite interesting. A lot of people get seduced into the sales lifestyle. But the further you get into it, you realize it's not about the money. It's about serving people. It's about helping customers get results. And then you start, I think maybe it's an age thing as well. The older I got, I realized it's not about me getting my target. Of course it is, but it's so much more than that. It's about me helping my customers, helping them have success. And by doing that, I then get my targets. And it's a very different outlook. A lot of young salespeople especially are target obsessed. Whereas at my age, you become more people obsessed. It's a very different way of looking at sales, but it's very important way to look at a colleague. Yeah, and, and you know, as you said, it's about adding value to people's lives. How can you add value to someone's life? And some of you said that you're talking about networking earlier, and I know you're a big fan of LinkedIn and some of those morning walks. You make your video on the phone, which are always enjoyable. Look forward to those. Tell a little bit about yeah, networking on LinkedIn because to me, LinkedIn is just a big networking opportunity and how to use it properly. And I discover a lot of people don't know how to use it properly. You, you probably saw my post that I said, um, that when you reach out to somebody on LinkedIn, it's like a blind date. You don't propose marriage on the first date. Yeah. I remember you said that. It's so true. The, the big mistake people make on LinkedIn is they will like a post. And by the way, liking a post has very little effect. Um, or they'll just use it to post their company press releases or information about their company, which really nobody cares about. Unless you're an Apple or a Nike, nobody really cares. So the way to use LinkedIn is to like and comment on other people's posts. That's important. And if it's a client of yours, share their posts. You know, I'll share quite a lot of my clients' posts. I don't get many likes, but my clients love me for it. Last Thursday, I did a post on LinkedIn. And I give a shout out to loads of people I liked, but loads of them were my customers who I love saying, check out this food company, check out this facilities management company, check out my virtual assistant. And the amount of love I got from that video and appreciation was just incredible. Because again, my competition don't do this. They never do stuff like that. So networking, it's fantastic for supporting other people. It's great for, uh, but also helping people. So a lot of people sadly in the last year have lost their jobs because of various redundancies. And when someone loses their job, I'll often reach out to them. Usually I won't know them. And I'll say, look, I lost my job 10 years ago in the recession. I know how difficult it is. I checked out your LinkedIn profile. There's lots of things we can do to improve it. I won't charge you anything for it. I'm not going to get you into my program, nothing at all. But I'd like to help you out for 20 minutes. And you create so much goodwill with people by doing that. And when they go and find jobs, they often thank you, reach out to you. Sometimes they do a post on LinkedIn saying, thank you so much, Neeraj. You give me the LinkedIn training. You help me with recruitment, you know, Q&A, because I represent quite a few recruitment companies and training. These things make a big difference. It's just, it's helping people as much as possible. You'd be surprised how much business you get just by sharing value and by helping people. Adding to people's lives. What, what can you and I add to somebody's life? You know, and one, one of the things which, uh, that sales gets a bad rap, mm. as, as you know, and sometimes it's been down to the profession who's created that bad rap. My eldest granddaughter, when she was about 12 or 13, said to me, Granddad, what do you do? And I said, I teach 
salespeople how to sell professionally. And her answer was, of 12 or 13 years old, said, Brenda, tell them not to be tricky. <laughs> so that, so there was that perception. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I always, you know, always remember. So, so you run your third book. Tell us a little about what, what ideas we hope to read in your third book, Nairaj. Well, the third book, I want to talk about the importance of vulnerability and the importance of kindness in sales, because there are two words that aren't used often enough. And yet there's one thing we've seen the last year is people coming forward with their personal stories, what an impact that has, the way people talk about stories. I don't want to do a book on storytelling because there's already a lot of great books out there already, but the importance of kindness, the importance of vulnerability, you know, those are great strengths. More than, any, more than people realize. And so when I do anything at the beginning, I'll do a rough outline and I'll say, okay, let me do at least 50 or 60 pages. And if I'm bored, I'm not going to continue. <laughs> but if I'm excited, I'll continue. So at the moment, I've done an outline and I'm about 26, 27 pages in because I've got quite addicted to this new app called Clubhouse, which is taking up a lot of my time at the moment. And I'm speaking on it every day. So it's kind of cutting into my novel writing time as well. Because bear in mind, I'm running a business as well. And you know, Colleen, you know, running a business and taking care of your family, doing my charity work, dealing with Clubhouse, the novel writing is barely one hour a day. You know, that's all I get, one hour a day if I'm lucky. Weekends, I get two or three hours. But yeah. Barely one hour a day during the week. Yeah, because that's interesting, Nairaj, because I've discovered that people on LinkedIn are interested to know who you are. Mm. And I think you probably saw it because you made a comment on it. I discovered an old newspaper feature that was done on me four or five years ago, which was the headline was from begging for burgers to traveling the world sales training. So we decided, you know, let's, let's put that story up on LinkedIn just to see what the reaction was. Mm-hmm. And I can't believe I've had two and a half thousand views wow. up to last week of that article. And I said, you know, gosh, you know, people obviously, it's a story. It's a story of my life. You know, um, I ended up, you know, being that rock star image. I actually ended up in the streets of London because I went to London and I planned because I was friendly with a guy called Rory Gallagher, who you may have heard of. Yes, of course. The rock guitarist, he and I were good friends. And I went to London to be a roadie for Rory and ended up living on the streets. You know, and but it's all an experience. You know, I, I take a thing from um, Marcus Aurelius, my favorite, one of my favorite sayings is, nothing's good or bad except thinking makes it so. Mm-hmm. You know, so when you look back at your life and I look back at uh, my marriages, what could I take out of them that's good? And how can I use it today to be a better person? So it's just that that attitude to life. And, you know, and that's what appeals to me that when we first met Nairaj, that attitude that you had, you know, you had your business had failed, you had to come back home to to Northern Ireland, Your, your marriage obviously was... And that was obviously a difficult time too. And that, you know, and I know you have family, which is even more difficult. But you've weathered the storm and become a better person for it, I would say. Oh, 100%. You know, it's okay to, I always say to people, it's okay to fail in life. 
what's not okay is to give up and what's not okay is to do the same thing again. Um, with me, like most people, we just lost so much business in March 2020. It just disappeared. And I'm like, oh, I felt, oh my God, I, you know, what do I do? I think it was a big problem. What do I do now? Because I still have to pay the mortgage. I have a daughter at university. I've just been divorced. I'm, I'm practically being cleaned out. Well, how do I start again? And luckily, again, you need a bit of luck. My second book, I just finished it off, got it out there, went to all my clients, pre-sold bulk copies, went to all my clients saying, you want five copies, 10 copies, because you really should be giving copies to all your staff and all your best customers. And some people bought a few copies, some bought 10, one or two even bought 20 copies. So I got quite lucky in that respect. That helped me, but you only make so much from a book sale. You know, Amazon takes 70%. So you sell a book for a tenner, Amazon take three, seven quid, you get three quid. And you got to pay taxes on top of that as well. So it was a matter of setting up, you know, master classes, paid for master classes when everybody else was doing them free. Then I had two months doing a mastermind group that was actually very profitable, thankfully. And then I started doing a podcast at 17 episodes of a podcast. And then I launched my course at Christmas. So it, it took a while to get back into, but I would say from March, it wasn't really till October I was back in my feet again financially because I had to redo my business completely. I was barely making enough getting by, but since October 2020, it's been amazing. I, I really, have, I'm very lucky and I have no complaints because it's really taken off. And now I'm in a position where it's like, whew, I'm okay. You know, I've weathered the storm and I've got by. But by doing that, I had to move countries. I had to swallow a lot of pride, put my ego aside. I probably learned more in the last 10 months than what I've learned in the last three years. So, you know, it's been quite quite an emotional journey, but the most important thing is I did it. I didn't quit like so many people I've seen do. Uh, so many people have just given up. So many people now their life revolves around what's the best box set I can watch or what shows can I watch on Netflix tonight? I don't want to be that kind of person. I'm nothing against watching TV. I just don't want to be binge watching every night. I want to be doing something more meaningful in, that, in my life. And I'm, I'm really glad I've, I've finally got it working, you know? Yeah, and I think that you've used the word luck quite a few times. And I'm a great believer that, is it maybe synchronicity is a word, that you've been in the right place at the right time, that you've created your own luck with your mindset? That... Mm. Could be. I mean, I, I do strongly believe you need luck somewhere along the journey. And I genuinely believe if you're a good person and you give to charity and you help other people, good things will happen to you in life. That's just a fact. You can call it karma. You can call it the law of attraction. Good things will happen to you. But I don't know when they're going to happen. <laughs> that's, that's why I always well, say that. Good no. things will happen to you. I just don't know when. So for me, when I was struggling with mental health battles, I'm like, why is this happening? I just didn't understand why it was happening to me for. Um, but I'm so glad I went through all that pain because I've come out of it a better person, a much more centered <clears throat> person. And now I give a lot of talks at events on resilience and overcoming mental health. I can talk about it now. And I couldn't do that before. So it's an extra, I don't want to say it's an extra string to my bow. You know what I mean? It's an extra, extra knowledge I have that I can help people with. Because when you're coaching, just say you're sales coaching. It's not enough to know about sales. You have to understand mindset. You have to understand psychology. you got to understand what mental health patterns are like. You have to understand LinkedIn. There's so many things you have to get 
and understand when you're a coach. So all these life experiences means I can help other people. And that's what we're about as coaches. We just want to help other people do well. Yeah, um, you know, and one on the, the reason you use synchronicity is I um, I started my sales training business uh, on the money. I had a car crash, which wasn't my fault. And I got, uh, well, a large sum lump of, lump of money. And I, I hadn't uh, met my last wife yet at that time. And I was actually going to use the money to to go on the round the world trip. And whilst I was off sick after the accident, I actually planned a round the world trip. But then it came that I met Iris, my wife, and as I realized that you know, a round the world trip isn't going to happen. I yeah. started my business, as I said, July 1996. And October 1996, the money was starting to run out. Mm-hmm. And depression hit me so bad that I couldn't get out of bed in the morning. And what I do, I took a mentor, I took a coach who put me on a on a new path and a new road and how to look at myself. And amazingly, the business turned round. My first major contract was a company in England who flew their sales team to Northern Ireland. Uh, I did the training here. I did three days. I can't remember I did three, four days training with them in the local hotel. And in four days, I earned the equivalent of three months' salary. And I thought, yeah, this is for me. Then the next thing that happens is my website, uh, in those early days of, uh, of the web, I was fortunate. I got discovered in Malaysia, got invited to Malaysia, got invited to Singapore, got invited to Thailand. Year before last was Australia. Um, Mauritius and funny enough (laughs) Mauritius was was quite difficult because what you did in Mauritius was you did Monday, Tuesday training, Wednesday day off so that was spent on the beach Thursday, Friday training so weekend on the beach and then my mix of people I was training in Mauritius were either hoteliers or or bankers was the Mm -hmm. main there was other industries but they were mainly uh, and the hotel people said, Collie, would you like to come stay at our hotel for the weekend? You can come and be our guest. And I did what I did eight days work and um, six days holidays, which was, was good. But then again, the recession bit and you know all those things that did. And the interesting thing in the recession was, and it's something that you said earlier about charity work. What happened was in the recession, I stopped and I thought, You've got to give to get, and that's my philosophy. And if you, if you want to get anything, you've got to give first. So I went and volunteered with the Princess Trust, and they actually had a program they were struggling with. And I wrote a marketing and a sales plan for this, trained the people to discover that this part they were struggling with, that after two and a half years, they're actually top in the UK with the results on that program. And they they give me a nice award for doing that. But you know, and that that's great satisfaction uh, working with young people, young people who want to be entrepreneurs, and that's you know giving back. And I know that you do a lot of charity work too, now, Raj. And how important is that to you? It's so important. Uh, when I started, I had the same attitude as most people do, which is I'll give whenever I'm rich, <laughs> which is a terrible mm-hmm. attitude. But I didn't know. I think a lot of the times in life, people do stuff because they don't know any better. 
And when I had my midlife crisis in 2010, I'd lost my job in the recession, went through a few hard months. But again, I'm really glad that happened because my next five years of my life were amazing. And I discovered personal development. One of the things they teach is the secret to living is giving. And you should be giving 10% of all your money to charity. I'm like, what? 10%? Are you crazy? I pay 40% in taxes. You want me to give 10%? I mean, it was just insane. So I started giving 5% and felt amazing. Then 6%. And it's been 10% now for almost eight years. And it's one of the best feelings you get. And about two years ago, I just wasn't getting the feeling I wanted. So what I started doing was I kept giving the 10%. But then I started volunteering. And I started doing a lot of LinkedIn training with a lot of charities. Then I started doing mindset coaching with charities and helping with their newsletters. And all of a sudden, I just had more satisfaction, you know. And just when you give to other people, you make the world a better place. That's it. You make the world a better place. And a lot of people say, well, I'm not that well known. What difference can I make? And I say, look, if you can help one person a day, uh, trust me, you're making a massive difference to the world. You really are. And that's what I do. How can I help one person a day? So I help a few people a week who've lost their jobs. I will give to a charity once a week. You know, you just be polite. You offer your seat in a train to somebody. That's a good, you know, things like that are really, that's not really charity, of course, but it's just about doing good deeds every day. I think people vastly underestimate the amount of personal joy you get from that. And there's no point being, Brian Tracy, in fact, one of his, my favorite quotes, if you find success in life and you're miserable, you've done something wrong along the way. And it's really important in life to be happy. People underestimate the importance of how they think it's being financially successful. I promise you it's not. Money is important. I love money. I'm not going to complain about where I'm living, my car. I'm very grateful. But at the same time, the reason I'm happy is because I'm happy here. You know, it's it's the success yeah. of my work makes me happy, of course, too. But I'm happy here. And people need to focus more on their personal happiness and well-being and giving to others. Because when you do that, it actually makes work much more enjoyable. And it also makes life much more enjoyable, too. Yeah, and, that, and you, when you talk about about giving that 10%, it's one of the things I discovered, you know, that I was the same. I can't afford to give 10% of my money away. I've got to pay taxes, got to do all that. And then I discovered, well, if you can't afford to give 10% away, one of the things that everybody's got a lot of, I can give 10% of my time. And time is money. So giving 10% of your time is as good as giving 10% of your money. And I would encourage, and I'm sure you would encourage people, you know, find a charity that's close to your heart um, because they all want help. They all need volunteers to help them. You know, that's important. And and as you say, you can obviously, you're reaping the rewards from it. Uh, I you know, reap the rewards from, I, I belong to to a couple of couple of charities that I work with. Um, so you're working, you just spend an hour a day on the new book. I want to go back to the new book because obviously we'll be looking forward to that. So are you just spending an hour a day on the book? That's it. I mean, today I will have spent nothing. Yesterday I spent an hour. Today I won't get any time at all. Because straight after this, I'm going to have dinner and then I'll be talking tonight and then preparing for tomorrow's coaching. So um, Friday I get probably an hour. Saturday is my day off completely. And then Sunday I'll probably do three hours because Sunday I'm so much more relaxed. I really am. Um, but that, that's how it goes because ultimately the business comes first because uh, it takes up my most of my time, I would guess. Then you got my charity work, family, personal well-being, 
And then at the very end comes the book. To finish our talk now, Raj, yes, I'm a young guy. I'm 22, 23. I've probably just come out of university and I'm thinking of getting a job in selling. I don't know what to do. What advice would you give me if I was that young graduate about to step into my first sales role? I would say to them, selling is a skill set and you have to learn it. So you want to be a teacher, you've got to do three years. Uh, you want to be a doctor, nine years. Architect, several years. Sales is no different. So start learning every single day. There's so many free resources out there. There's no excuse. I mean, people of our generation, we love books. I still buy books. As you can see, I love studying them. However, yeah. podcasts are free and there's some brilliant podcasts out there. Younger generation might listen to podcasts more or watch YouTube videos more. But there's no excuse whatsoever for you not to learn. Learn as much as you can every day. But don't just learn about sales. Learn about personal development. Try to better yourself, not just be good at sales, but better yourself as well. And never underestimate the importance of learning. Yeah, and that's, you know, and that's so important. You know, that, um, you know, when it comes to books, there's a saying, uh, I've read books, there's a saying, um, it's not shelf development, it's personal development. <laughs> and I know that you and exactly. I have, a, have, a, have the same coach, I've coached, uh, being coached with the Jack Canfield team, as I know oh, yeah. you have Fantastic. as well. Yeah, and, and one of my favorite books, uh, which I think is maybe one of your favorites as well, is Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich. It took me a while to get into that. I think the problem was it was one of the first books I read, and it just it's it's the kind of book that it took me a while to get into. And when I first read it, I'm like, meh. Then I read Peter Drucker and I went, oh, God, no. And then I read Tony Robbins and went, this is fantastic. Then Jack Canfield's Success Principles, amazing. And then Brian Tracy, superb. And Dennis Waitley and Tom Hopkins. And then I kind of went back to Think and Grow Rich. I'm like, oh, okay, I get it now. So I think certain books you have to read. I, think, I would never recommend it as a first book to anybody ever. I think you have to get into other books first. Brian Tracy probably is the easiest to read and Zig Ziglar. And then after that, I go on to Tony Robbins and then the Tom Hopkins. And then you go on to the Think and Grow Riches. But it's such a good book, you know? Yeah. yeah. Gosh, we're so close because one of my favorite uh, people was I had the Nightingale Conant uh, from Dennis Whitley, The Psychology of Success. Oh, yeah, I have that, actually. I have, the audio, I have the audio CD of that. Yeah, I would recommend to anybody The Psychology <laughs> of Success from Dennis Whitley. Um, Jack Canfield, and um, I'm actually working through this again at the moment. Uh, you know, oh, success principles, yeah, superb. Yeah, and this is the, the new workbook for it. Um, because one of the things is I've discovered in life, um, and I have had a, I have a friend who's actually, um, I'm going to name drop here, Nairaj. He is, is uh, he's passed away now. He so. He is the late father of the actor Richard Chamberlain. Mm -hmm. um, he was Chuck Chamberlain. And, and uh, somebody asked Chuck Chamberlain what motivated him. And Chuck Chamberlain says, I'm not motivated by what I know. I'm motivated by what I've yet to find out. Oh, that's quite nice, actually. I really like that. That's a brilliant way to end, actually. <laughs> Just That's a beautiful yeah. quote to finish with, you know? Yeah. So, so, you know, and one of the things that I say is, Thank goodness for being curious. 
you know, that's, uh, I think you're a curious person. You want to find out why. As is it Cynic, Simon Cynic, he says, know your why. Yeah, 100%. And also, before we go, I want to give a big shout out to Steve Burton, because it was Steve Burton who recommended you to me as well. Yeah, Steve Burton introduced uh, introduced the two. And thank you, know, and I thank you for Steve too, because one of the things I have been, a, I, I am a better person from knowing you now, Raj. And oh, thank you for being thank a friend. Thank you, Polly. Yeah. That's really sweet of you to say. Thank you so much. And yeah. I'm really glad I met you because every, every single person I speak to, without exception, in Northern Ireland knows you. <laughs>